I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres such as monsters, graboids, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. All right, guys, we're back here with part two of uh, Monsters. Still not Universal's classic monsters, by the way. No, no, no. We just couldn't get enough of them. I did notice something in between the two episodes, though, when you're saying classic monsters made me think of it. As of recording, next week, Godzilla King of the Monsters comes out. So that's kind of cool. That was like a happy accident, I guess. Godzilla. <laughs> and I do want to point out that we did not cover a single King Kong or Godzilla movie during this. No, because I think, I think with what we picked in here, they definitely fit. In horror, maybe we'll do a Gaiju episode down the road. Yeah, that would. Yeah. Of the 33 Godzilla movies, Martha. <laughs> but no, that's one of the new one I'm actually excited for because we yeah. do get to see other characters. The wife has said that we, I, I said, I want to see it in theaters. I want to see big monster movie on the big screen because the last big monster movie I saw on the big screen was with you actually for the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Um, I forgot we saw that. And, and I only remember it. Here, lizard, lizard, you know, <laughs> the Taco Bell shit that was going on at the time. That was not a good movie. It was not. But you did have him dying in the bed. But uh, <laughs> I just want to be able to say it again. So I'm excited to go see it. She realized there's an actor in it that she likes. So she's like, yeah, we can go see it in theaters. I'm like, fuck yeah. Big monster on the big screen. What, the girl from Stranger Things? No, no. Oh. No, some dude. She fucking told me his name and what he's been in. I don't remember. She'll hate me for this. She's going to say, I never listened, but I remember that she told me we could go. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're listening, he doesn't remember names for shit. So <laughs> that's I don't, right. I don't remember shit for shit. That's my problem. When you hear Josh say an actor's name on this podcast, 75% of the time, it's because he, he called him something else and I told him what it was. Yep. This shit happens. That's why the what's his nuts joke is a joke. Um, <laughs> I'm bad with that shit. We'll be watching movies and be like, Hey, that's that dude that was in that movie. Like. <laughs> I don't fucking know his name. I just know he was in this other movie. But uh, you want to go ahead and tear right into this one? Let's go right into it. Okay. We're going to start off on this one with the uh, 1990 action adventure Tremors. And I say that as a joke, but it really feels like, you know, Indiana Jones, crazy redneck cousin and his buddy got dropped into this world because the movie, you know, there's no, it's not dark. It's not scary. It's more entertaining. It's, it feels like it. Indiana Jones. It feels like an action adventure movie to me. Yeah, but it's a classic among all horror fans. Yes. And I mean, <laughs> they're definitely monsters. There's nowhere else to fit these motherfuckers into an episode. Exactly. I don't remember. I think in the, the sequels, they end up deciding they did come from space. So maybe they're aliens. Oh, and the new sequel has been announced um, <laughs> after the TV show got shot, at least the first season. And then that didn't happen. But that's some more of on the back end type stuff that's just coming to mind here as I'm talking about it. I've only seen like the second one. Oh, I you couldn't just stop there, man. But oh, I, I did. <laughs> like Bert with the 50 cow. Like that's about all I remember from it. <laughs> at least you have like half the principal cast in that one. At least. Yes. And then after that, it's just Bert. But anyways, I'll introduce people as we go along here. What I do want to say is uh, this is written by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. And this is the writing team that brought you Short Circuit 1 and 2. Batteries not included. Wild Wild West. <laughs> um, <laughs> we were just fucking talking about the movie. It's funny. I, I know. And, um, and it was directed by Ron Underwood, who, if I remember correctly, this team had actually got together doing, like, educational films. 
Because <laughs> Ron Underwood went on to do a whole shit ton of TV. Okay. He didn't direct the other movies that were written by the, the crew. So I was reading that S.S. Wilson actually got the idea for the movie while he was like sitting in the desert on a giant rock and he was looking around thinking about how bad it would fucking suck to be stuck on there. Yes. So that's true. That, yeah, that's exactly where this came from. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's a that's a pretty good motivational idea for a movie. There. Yeah, that's great. Like I'm having this thought. This sounds scary. Must write. <laughs> so we open with Val pissing off a cliff. That's Valentine, which is Kevin Bacon, who uh, later on was quoted as dropping to his knees on the sidewalk and crying to his pregnant wife, I'm doing a movie about underground worms. <laughs> <laughs> I read that and I about died laughing. And I mean, Kevin Bacon, fucking hugely famous actor for so many things. And you got the six degrees of Kevin Bacon game and stuff, but I still always think of Trimmer's first when I think of him. That is what I always think of. And for better or worse, whatever, he's great in the movie. Gave it his all in the movie. But, um, he, uh, jumps on the back of the truck and, uh, starts jumping up and down on it, screaming stampede to wake up Earl. And, uh, Earl falls out in a sleeping bag. Now Earl is Fred Ward. And, I remember watching this with my dad a bunch and uh, we would watch it. My dad's like, it's fucking Remo Williams. Look, it's Remo <laughs> Williams. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dad? And eventually I watched Remo Williams. The adventure begins. You've seen that shit. Oh, right? I fucking love that movie. He's watching my dad all the time. Yeah. Movie's great. <laughs> he beats the shit out of somebody with a fucking bedpan and Remo's the brand. Right. And then I got to <laughs> great movie, not a horror movie, but fucking great movie. Good genre flick. So, uh, they Rochambeau over who's going to make breakfast. It was, uh, bologna and beans <laughs> some <laughs> shit like that they end up driving along and uh earl's giving val shit about not planning ahead not having a plan that's why we are where we are because we don't have a plan and um i see someone off the side of the road and of course this is all desert and um I'm like oh is that the new grad student and val's like that's supposed to be a girl and he fucking goes <laughs> tearing off off the road heading towards her and uh he goes through his spiel of you will have long blonde hair big green eyes world-class breasts ass that won't quit and legs that go all the way up <laughs> so they pull up and are introduced to Rhonda, who is the polar opposite of everything he just described um, she's not like fugly or anything, but it's not this, what is it? Tammy Lynn Baker or something like that is the one that got away or his ex that. I, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember up, her name. He, yeah. That's what he wants everyone to look like. So Rhonda's played by uh, Finn Carter. So she's a seismologist and she introduces herself. She talks about having some strange readings in the area. So they go driving off <laughs> and, uh, Earl's giving Val shit about his stupid list that like, you're always trying to hold on to that. And he's like, I'm a victim of circumstance. I thought you'd call it your pecker. So they enter the city of perfection and uh, perfection Nevada and a tiny town that they actually, they built every bit of that for filming. Um, the roof of the store, the collapsing like it does later on, they actually built that set to do that and reset, which kind of neat. But we meet uh, Melvin, the shithead kid, because he acts like a shithead. And I forget who plays him, but he was another shit. This is the kind of things I'm supposed to note and I forget to. I looked him up because I was thinking it was DJ or whatever from the Monster Squad, but it wasn't. No. Like the asshole kid from that movie. But he was like a sidekick kid or friend kid on some sitcoms. Like Boy Meets World or something. Yeah. Um, we meet Bert, Michael Gross, um, who's bitching and Chang about how uh, these are hollow points, but they're not Hydroshock hollow points. <laughs> and uh, Bert is the fucking crazy survivalist. And... Uh, they actually started shooting the day after he rapped on Family Ties. Yeah. And that was real fun for me as a kid because when I saw him, I'm like, oh, it's the dad from Family Ties. Like, this character is so far removed from that. Completely different role. <laughs> and uh, Chang's Cooler starts making nasty noises and he's asking Val and Earl, he's like, sounds like a bearing, right? 
because you're they do the odd jobs. They're the ranch hands, and there's this tiny town, and they take care of everything. We get a cut to Rhonda, and she's logging another mini quake, is what I'm going to call it, on on one of the machines. And we get this POV shot and this rolling mound shot that like they did in Children of the Corn, right? Yeah, I always, yeah. Okay, I always have it in my head that it's similar. And uh, she's totally oblivious and just kind of walks over to her truck, but she escapes something just in time. We don't know what it was. And uh, we come back to Val and Earl on one of their shitty jobs, which is trash detail. And uh, <laughs> they're talking about how much it sucks. And it cuts to them doing another odd job, which is pumping shit <laughs> over at this trailer. And uh, <laughs> they're arguing back and forth, and the valve breaks on uh, the septic pump, and it sprays shit all <laughs> over them. And uh, the little shitty kids there making fun of them, right? Yeah, he's sitting on the porch heckling them, and. Uh, Oh, they're arguing about not having a plan, how they should just leave. And uh, then they get sprayed with shit. So we cut to them clean cut, obviously just got out of the shower, throwing whatever effects they have into the truck. They're going to haul ass out of town. And uh, on the way out of town, Nancy flags them down. And uh, I feel like a shithead, man. When there gets to be a big cast, I just don't write down everybody because it's so much (laughs) to remember. I don't necessarily know that she was in a bunch of shit after this either. She was in a bunch of shit before this. Oh, okay. She's like, well, goes way back. But anyways, she's like, hey, I got this job for you. I'll throw in lunches and beer. And uh, her daughter comes by on the pogo stick and Earl's like, and her name's Mindy. And uh, Earl's like, what's the count, Mindy? And she's like, bouncing by 640. If Mindy looked familiar and you never looked it up or couldn't place it, that's uh, Ariana Richards, which is the girl in Jurassic Park. Oh, okay. Um, I don't remember her character's name in Jurassic Park, <laughs> but I'm excited to bring up Jurassic Park again. I remember when I was watching it, I thought she looked familiar, and I don't think I remember to go IMDb or so I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> but as they're leaving town, um, they see somebody up a fucking power pole. Or not a power pole, but the the tower. But there's a fucking name for those, and I can never remember it. <laughs> but it's the big ones with like the main power lines and shit. They're like, is that Earl? And uh, they pull over, they Rochambeau again to see who's going to climb up there and get his drunk ass down. And Val gets up there and finds him dead clutching his rifle. Now, there was a deleted opening scene or a reworked, I guess, opening scene that was supposed to be Edgar and his horse gets attacked by something. And then he gets chased and we actually see him go up there. And it was dumped for whatever reason. So take his body to uh, the doctor. I think his name's Jim. He says that he died of dehydration. It's like, you mean you just, how long did that take? Like three days sitting up there? What the hell? And uh, so he clearly must live far enough outside of town where nobody noticed him missing and he could sit up there on the tower and nobody see him. Yeah. And that's the thing that once they, once they start talking about, once they start talking about where the attacks happen, you see that it was like from the outskirts working its way towards town. So we cut to uh, farmer Fred (laughs) seeing his sheep being spooked by something. And his scarecrow shakes behind him. And then all of a sudden he's just pulled down out of frame and there's like a wisp of smoke. And uh, the idea was from what I was reading and watching about the movie, they really wanted it to feel like you didn't know what it was until the reveal. Like it could be a monster. It could be supernatural. It could be a serial killer for all, you know, just something is freaking everybody out. But you see the fucking poster. There's no getting by, <laughs> getting around what knowing what it's going to be. I had read that too. So clearly they changed their mind at some point, but I was reading like even the two guys that were going to see working on the road in a little bit. Like at that point you were still supposed to be thinking it could be like a serial killer or something. So, yeah. 
So we go back to the boys driving and uh, they see the sheep guts everywhere. And uh, they go in to investigate. And uh, I think this is one of the infamous what the shits. Because if there's any lines in this movie that you're like, that's odd. It sounds like someone should have dropped an F-bomb. It's because they did. And they ended up cutting the F-bombs to get the rating down. It got an R for language, not gore. So mother humpers, what the shits, stuff like that. They're, they're supposed to be motherfuckers, what the fuck. But they, uh, they find this mound of dirt with a, a crater in it and a hat. And they pull the hat off and there's Fred's head. So it's like, holy shit. They freak out and they go heading back to town and uh, Cheng's store ends up being like the, the, the center place for everybody to meet up. And uh, on their way there, they see this road crew. And they're like, you got to get out of here. There's a killer on the loose. And uh, they drive off and dude goes back to jackhammering. And I fucking love this bit. So he's jackhammering and then you hear this squeal and blood come out from under the ground where the jackhammer is. And then all of a sudden the jackhammer takes off ripping through the fucking concrete <laughs> and shit. The... Airline gets wrapped around dude's leg and goes pull him off with it around the corner and up this hill. And uh, his work partner goes to go check on him and gets pummeled with a rock slide from where he got pulled up to. And so now back at Ching's, the boys update everybody else there and they realize that the phone's dead and they're going to have to go to Bixby for help because apparently Bixby's the next real town over. So they head back off and the road's blocked by a fucking rock slide that we just saw. And uh, they get out to look around and Earl sees a fucking hard hat with what looks like brains in it. And uh, he points it out to Val. As they go to leave, he like backs up the truck into the hillside and it's like he's stuck. He's like, you're hung up. And it's like, no, I'm not. And uh, he finally breaks free. He's like, that's how you break an axle. They go back to the store and uh, I think Mindy is the one that discovers why the truck was stuck. And there's this, you know, decent sized snake thing ripped off but wrapped around the uh, the axle. And... Uh, Chang starts negotiating for it because he wants to buy it. <laughs> and uh, he manages to get him to go for 15 bucks. We cut to another scene, which I had to note in here, where uh, it's Dr. Jim and his wife and their generator gets swallowed up. And this one's at night. This is like the only thing that happens at night. They go to investigate and Jim gets sucked under. His wife's crawling at the dirt and the, I guess I'll go ahead and call him Graboids. And uh, the mini Graboid comes up and is all <laughs> right in her face and shit. She runs to the car. And uh, they start busting in through the side windows and shit. And the whole damn car gets pulled in. And we see it from a faraway shot and headlights up in the air. And it's supposed to be much more elaborate, but the rig that swallowed the car wouldn't work right. I do want to point out, you're saying about it being the only, one of the only night shots. Usually, we, we said that in the last episode, that monsters and bright light, it usually doesn't work. They did a good fucking job of making these things look real. And that's part of the unsettling thing of this movie to me was that it wasn't dark and they were in the bright open fucking desert with the sand reflecting the light. Yep. And it just, you know, it made fear come from a different, different place. I mean, I used to play the game. I guess it's kind of like the floor is lava, but where you try to hop around on like the couch cushions and stuff so that the trimmers wouldn't get you is what yeah. we called as a kid. Even my wife, who's not a big horror fan, when she was a kid, her and her brother would do that. Like <laughs> they'd run around so the trimmers wouldn't get them because fucking everybody played that, right? Yep. But the group realizes that they're cut off in every direction because they've got the uh the cliff one side, the mountains on the other side, and all this. And so they go on horseback for help. It's really odd to think of like the open frontier desert is claustrophobic, but they somehow managed to do it. Pretty much. 
And so they take off on the horses and they stop to check on uh, Dr. Jim and they hear this music playing and it's dropkick me Jesus through the goalpost <laughs> of life. And that's something that I didn't even, couldn't even barely tell there was music going and my dad starts singing it. And he's like, I know that song. So they start trying to figure out where the music's coming from and they're moving through the dirt and see the front end of the damn car. And so they take off freaked to the fuck out and the horses get spooked and they both get thrown off the horses and... <laughs> But I really, really love this shot because the the horses get attacked and they're like, that's how they get you. They're under the goddamn ground. (laughs) And this huge mound of dirt rises and Val's like, must be a million of them. And the first big ass sandworm busts out and Earl goes, nope, just one. (laughs) (laughs) So they take off running like crazy towards this concrete drainage ditch. They're like, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. And they jump across it and they don't make it. The graboid runs straight into the fucking concrete wall and it like cracks and shit. They're looking at it and Earl's like, stupid son of a bitch knocked itself out cold. And Val's like, hold my ass. He's dead. We killed it. Fuck you. (laughs) It was one of the two fucks they kept, thankfully. Yeah, because you're allowed to keep, I don't remember if it was one or, I thought it was one, but I guess it's two fucks you're allowed to keep as long as they're not in a sexual. Sexual. Yeah. So Rhonda shows up and she's examining it. She's like, it has no eyes. It's clearly subterranean. And uh, Val's like, hey, y'all, I found the ass because he's like up above <laughs> digging it out. And so Rhonda starts looking at her sheets and she's like, the way I see it, there's three more of these things. They start getting chased. And this is the, the typical thing that starts happening in the movie is the mound of dirt moving. That, that's how you know they're being chased. And they make it over to the rocks and it's Stumpy because he's the one who got the one <laughs> tentacle ripped off um, by the truck. And Rhonda's like, they must hunt by seismic vibration. And we get the whole pole vault scene. So they're going pole vaulting from rock to rock back into her truck and they make their escape to get back to the store. So back at Chang's, they explain their findings and the situation and Val pulls out a map and he's, he goes through the whole thing. He's like, this guy got it here. This guy got it here. The road crew got it here. You know, we're next. This whole valley's one big smorgasbord to them. <laughs> we see Melvin outside just standing there bouncing his ba- basketball and all of a sudden there's this and the basketball doesn't come back up. <laughs> And Nancy's looking for Mindy and uh, a crab boy pops up outside and the whole group scatters. And so we've got Val, Earl, Rhonda, Chang and Miguel all run back into the store. And this is when we get the really cool. uh, It's a wooden deck thing out in front of the store, but it does this like accordion thing. Yeah. All the boards are popping up. I don't know how to describe it. It just looks really neat. It just kind of rolls like carpet, right? Yeah. And uh, they get inside. Everybody's being quiet and you can hear this. <laughs> and it's Mindy on the fucking pogo stick. And she's got headphones on. So she has no idea what's going on. She's way past 640 now, though. So <laughs> Val goes out and grabs her. And uh, we see the pogo stick get sucked underground. And uh, Rhonda gets attacked and has to de pants due to the barbed wire because it like comes up under her and she rolls and the barbed wire goes around. I don't know if I was reading or watching a thing, but she refused to rehearse the scene. She wanted to do it in the moment. I don't know if that's for to make it better or because she was just, I'm not taking my pants off for you guys over and over again. We're going to do this <laughs> once and get it. And I fucked up. It's after that. It's after she gets deep pants that they run inside and we see the boards. So they make it back in the store. Everybody's quiet. And that damn cooler starts making noise. <laughs> and uh, I've got in my notes here, grab weights attack. <laughs> so we got one bust through the floor and each chain straight up jaw style fucking grabs him, swings back and forth three times and then goes back down. And I guess here's a good time to bring this up. A couple of working titles for this movie were dead silence, which I think is funny given yeah. the timing of the podcast and land sharks. Now 
looking back on it and with all the shit sci-fi has released, Land Sharks sounds dumb. But had they called the movie Land Sharks from the beginning, I think I would have been okay with it. So I was reading they actually that's it was Land Sharks before it was Tremors and they had to change the name legally because I can't remember why. Oh really? Yeah, like somebody came in and made them change the name because they already own the name Land Shark. Oh, okay. So one eats Chang, the other one pushes over the store shelving that ends up knocking Rhonda out the window because she was up on top of the shelves. She makes over the water tower. Everybody else goes up onto the roof. Now, meanwhile, we've got Bert and Heather, and Heather is Reba McIntyre. And I don't know if she got shit on for it back then. This is her first film. I think she's great in the movie. Oh, yeah. She fits perfectly um, as his wife. And uh, one thing I do want to bring up is the writers said what they were thinking when they were writing these characters was, and I shit you not, Chuck Norris and Linda Hamilton. <laughs> I read that. I was like, that would have been fucking awesome. I like this too, but. Uh, yeah. Well, the first thing I thought of was Chuck Norris wouldn't need all those guns. <laughs> I don't know, man. Delta Force, he's a lot of guns. Uh, Delta Force. Yeah, I'll give yeah. you that one. But no, just the mindset of the guys like Chuck Norris and Linda Hamilton, like Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre. It's funny to me. I always think this movie came out earlier than it did because 1990, right? Yeah. You always think it's the 80s for some reason. Oh, really? But they've been out and about and uh, Burt radios the boys while uh, Heather's cleaning brass. By cleaning brass, I mean anybody who doesn't know the thing that she turns on that's vibrating, you put like usually walnut shells or something like that, and you put spent brass in it to clean it so you can reload. People that are these kind of preppers are going to fucking reload. They're not going to buy shit if they don't have to. So what we've learned is they're in a basement with something that vibrates while these big ass worms hunt things that vibrate. (laughs) Good thing she wasn't feeling horny. Um, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I get one in there every episode. (laughs) So Val tells him on the radio and is like, um, they're coming for you. They're under the ground. I think he's like, they're under the goddamn ground. (laughs) And a graboid bursts through the fucking basement wall. And that's all miniature, by the way. Really? It looks badass. Watching the behind the scenes, there's so much of this movie I never realized was miniature. They did a real good job. Um, Like there's one, the first shot of it coming through is full size. But later on when it's moving and when it puts its head into the ceiling and dies, that's all this big. That is fucking awesome. Um, so yeah, it bursts through the basement wall and the radio cuts off and we're just seeing the guys at the store, but then we hear gunshots off in the distance and we cut back to Heather and Bert out of frame. You don't see this yet. They run out of ammo shooting and then they kind of step over and the shot widens up and this is entire back wall is nothing but <laughs> fucking guns and they start going through everything. They got handguns, fucking rifles, Uzis, fucking flare gun. All kinds of shit. Eventually, <laughs> in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> Bert breaks the glass and gets out the fucking eight gauge, quote unquote, elephant gun. And uh, two shots with it and it's down. So Bert's holding Heather and he goes, you broke into the wrong goddamn rec room, didn't you, you <laughs> bastard? Gets back on there and is like, we killed that mother humper. And Val's like, Bert, there are two more. I repeat, two more mother humpers. <laughs> but uh, I thought there was only three total. Four total. They kill the first oh, one. She says there's three more. There's three more. Okay. Yep. I was thinking there was three. Okay. So back on the buildings, the uh, it looks like the graboids are like investigating the buildings, like going around checking each of them. And uh, I was like, what are they doing? Earl's like, looks like they're coming up with a plan because <laughs> he's always giving him shit about not having a plan. <laughs> and uh, so one ends up knocking Nestor off the trailer. He's another, he's one of the side characters. And uh, he goes to get back up on high ground. And he gets on a big tire. That's not high enough. Nestor's <laughs> gone. And uh, 
<laughs> Another one bites all of Bert's tires so they don't have that truck anymore. So they can't make it up the old Jeep trail to Bixby because that's their plan B. We got need something that'll get up the trail. And the tires on Val and Earl's truck got bit too. So uh, Earl comes up with the idea that they can escape on the bulldozer, Caterpillar bulldozer that we saw earlier that they're using to clean up trash. And uh, there happens to be an old ripped open tanker trailer at the trash bin that they can get everybody in and pick them up. And so Rhonda's like, we're going to need some kind of a diversion. And uh, Miguel says, hey, let's take this little ride in lawnmower. They can chase it around. <laughs> and so uh, the boys Rochambeau again to see who's going to go save the day. And Earl wins. And uh, Val's like, goes to shake his hand. Like, good luck, man. And he fucking elbows him and takes off. Right. <laughs> so the mower ends up running on a berm and flips over. Rhonda kicks the water pipe off the water tower as a distraction. So he makes it to the Caterpillar, gets the the tanker trailer, and goes and picks everybody up. Also, while all this is going on, Bert and Heather are like fucking making pipe bombs the whole time on the well, roof, right? Well, yeah. Well, that doesn't show that until they're going. Well, okay, it may show them because I, I, I think they're like talking on the radio and they're cutting they're cutting shit off the ceiling and stuff. But yeah, when they go to pick them up, they got like all these bags of weapons and fucking pipe bombs, and they're giving them shows like, "Damn, Bert, we're only going seven miles or some shit like that." Because they're literally still cutting fuses like yeah. at this point. So on their way towards the trail, like out in the flatlands, they see all these dirt plumes off in the distance. And it's like, what are they doing? It's like, I don't care as long as they're doing it way over there. I got a problem with this as far as how the movie goes. But uh, eventually they drive right into the trap dug by the graboids. Now, how will the graboids know which way they're going to drive? I don't know. That's the, I can't <laughs> I can't let them have that one. Um <laughs> But uh, Bert throws a bomb to scare him away, and they all run up on some rocks. So here we are stuck on rocks again, but at least we have bombs. So we're at the original idea for the film at this point. He yes. fitted in there. Exactly. And uh, so Earl comes up with his fishing idea. <laughs> you can see what's fixing to happen. Bert's cutting off fuse. And uh, Earl asks him, he's like, what kind of fuse is that? And Bert's like, cannon fuse. And Earl's like, what do you use that for? My cannon. <laughs> <laughs> of course he has a cannon. <laughs> exactly. They're the crazy survivalists. And because of the crazy survivalists, these people survive. So Earl throws the line. The grab boy takes the bait. He blows the fuck up. And the whole group's cheering, oh, happy day. And then all the guts start raining down yeah. on him on the rocks. Val goes to do the next one. We got one graboid left at this point. I feel like I've blown through this movie. He throws the fucking dynamite on the rope. And the motherfucker spits it back out right at him. <laughs> And they all scatter and the bomb goes off. Well, when they scattered, Val, Earl, and Rhonda all ran off the rocks. Everybody else just ran around to the other side. And they're like, what are you guys doing out there? They're all standing there. And Val still got one bomb in hand. And I think Rhonda has the lighter at this point. And uh, everybody's telling Val to throw the bomb. It's like, throw the bomb, scare it away, throw the bomb. Because they're very sensitive to fucking underground. Oh, I left that out earlier. When they examined the one they dug up, Rhonda, the scientist, is like, oh, it must use these to move through the dirt and everything. Because there's a running gag that they keep asking her questions because she's the scientist. So right. eventually she's like, why do you keep asking me? But anyways. <laughs> so Val quietly goes, I'm going to go for it. And just takes off running. <laughs> and Earl's like, what are you doing? And Val's running full speed. I got a goddamn plan. <laughs> <laughs> So the three run and they're running towards the edge of the cliff from the beginning of the fucking movie. Val throws the bomb and throws it past the graboid. And they're like, what are you doing, man? You threw it too far. And they run off to the side and he's just kind of standing there like a fucking, like a football player, like ready for somebody to snap. The graboid charges straight at him. And at the last minute, he dives off to the side, 
Stumpy bursts through the cliff face, and as he's flying through the air, Val yells, Can you fly, you fucker? But they changed it to, Can you fly, you sucker? It's supposed to be, Can you fly, you fucker? <laughs> it explodes on the rocks below. The last graboid is gone. Cuts back to town with them putting new tires on the truck. They're still going to head on about their merry way. And uh, Ron is thirsty, and to use the parlance of our time. I don't know that one. Oh, she she wants some D. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and she's like talking to Val and like he won't do anything. And finally uh, she walks away and then Val gives chase and, and kisses her. And uh, we get the crane shot pulling away. The Reba McIntyre song starts playing and we get credits. It's a simple movie. I still think it's so approachable. It plays out like an action adventure movie instead of a horror movie. A little bit more on the, the special effects. Of course, it was all 100% practical. They uh, built this big foam head that was used in a lot of shots for the the big opening of the mouth with the full-size graboids. The little ones are all puppets, but there's a lot of miniature shots in this. Like the one where you see the one of the graboids come up out and then slowly go back down and under and then give chase, that was miniature. When you see it circling them on the rocks in the sand, miniature again. The cliff, miniature. They did a forced perspective shot at the fucking shop where they built that wall and it's actually the crew that's standing up there. It's not the cast that are in quote unquote disguise for the, can you fly you sucker shot? Um, which that one was only like six or seven feet long. I don't know why I just never thought about miniatures for this movie. Like I didn't even consider that they used miniatures for it. I don't know why either, but watching, watching some behind the scenes stuff on it was really cool seeing what they did. Did you read anything about like the original designs for the Graboids and, and they were like, well, they look too phallic. <laughs> yeah, they were going to do this skin shedding type thing that they're like, man, that really looks like a penis coming out of some foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's not even making a joke. Again, man, it's just a really fun movie. I saw it as soon as it hit video. I guess my parents rented it and it's just real approachable and real fun. The deaths aren't even gruesome or anything. It's one of those movies that you're like hard pressed to find somebody who hasn't seen it from like our age range or a little older. And that's including like non horror fans. Like just everybody fucking watched this movie in the nineties. Yeah. So this was a fun, fun spot to be able to fit that in as far, you know, as monsters go. The sequels are terrible. Um, <laughs> the second one is watchable. I remember the second one being funny and Earl was, I mean, he didn't have Val, but Earl was trying to carry it the best he could. And yeah. his character worked for it. And Bert hadn't gone like as crazy <laughs> as I heard it goes from that point. But he was already like, he was a believable survivalist for the most part in the first one. Yeah. And you could tell they were already going like way out there in the second one. And I'm assuming it just got worse. So I don't remember if it's the second one or the third one, but did you make it to the ass blasters? <laughs> I don't know what the fuck so you're talking about. What, what they figure out is the sandworms from the first trimmers. That's the first stage of the life cycle. Then they turn into these little two-legged things with these heat sensors on their heads that you have in the second one. Right. The third stage of the life cycle, they sprout wings and they fart fireballs as a propellant so they can fly. <laughs> Did sci-fi make that one? <laughs> I don't. I, that's what I was saying. I'm, I think sci-fi may have been involved as early as part three. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like some sci-fi shit. <laughs> and then it goes downhill. <laughs> uh, but yeah, either seven or eight. <laughs> What's fixing to come Are you out serious? Now. Yes. And Michael Gross is on for it. He's he's stuck with the whole thing, man. That's the hill he's gonna die on. He probably made enough money off of family ties that he's just like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> but moving in a completely different direction, I feel steering a little bit back towards sci-fi-esque and 2008's found footage 
Cloverfield. This is a fun one. It's kind of a departure from your normal found footage film because it's a big budget found footage. Usually it's like a cheap way to make an indie movie. And this said J.J. Abrams behind it. <laughs> so, you know, like uh, it, it was definitely a different way to go about it. And I think one of the previous episodes you were saying you had done some research and there was like a ridiculous amount of found footage movies by this point. Yeah, there was a three year span going from 2006 to 2009. And just in that time span, there were 26 released found footage movies. So this came out right in the middle of that. Which most of them are probably straight to video shits that I never saw. But probably. <laughs> But still, this was when it was in its in its height, and I dumped on this movie and refused to watch it when it first came out because I was like, that's it. I'm sick of found footage. You don't have a solid enough script to make something, so you you went this road because it's what's popular right now. And I ended up changing my mind later. Yeah, this is one of my missed in theaters. I do not remember why. And I have a friend named Jarrett that I grew up with that loves watching movies, but he usually only watches a movie once. And he found out I hadn't seen this movie yet. And he's like, I went and saw it in theater like three times, man. You got to see it. And I was like, it's got to be fucking good then if you kept going back to the theater. Holy shit. And honestly, like I rented it, watched it in my room by myself. It's back when I had that futon, right? In my bedroom okay. and right there in front of the TV. I was like literally on the edge of my seat. I was like rocking, gnawing my nails because I bite my nails anyways, but I was doing extra bed. I was actually <laughs> yelling at the TV like you watch football fans on Super Bowl Sunday. And I fucking, I don't know what it was about it, but I was on for the ride and it worked. And it's just, you know, you got your giant monster and then you got your found footage and it's like crammed together with this big budget and they were able to pull it off. It was pretty neat. (laughs) But the movie, it's a bad robot movie, which means you have J.J. Abrams behind it, at least producing, which is all he did on this film. I was actually thinking he had directed it for some reason. And so I went back and watched it. That's what I thought. I thought he was more involved. J.J. Abrams as a producer is usually pretty involved in a movie if he's got the producer title. And if it's just executive producer, usually it's because he made like the first one and they stuck his name on it and shit. But he said he was in Japan on vacation with his son and there was like a a toy store and it had little Godzilla toys walking out. And I think one walked into his foot or something and he saw it and he picked it up and he's like, man, we don't have any like recent giant monster kaiju type films in the United States and he should fucking make one. That's <laughs> the interview. He's like, I mean, we have King Kong in America and he's cute and all, <laughs> but honestly, like by this time, like we hadn't had a giant monster movie in a while other than like the Broderick. Yeah. Godzilla. The, the 2000 I don't know that was Godzilla. It was 2000. Okay. Yeah. And even then that was just a, a loose remake. Not, not to be confused with Godzilla 2000, which came out in 99, <laughs> but that, Actually, was, that wasn't state side. I mean, okay, okay. I remember seeing those names one time and getting confused is all fucking hell. Yeah, it's like uh like between the the Japanese releases of the Godzilla movies and them coming out in America is like as fucked up as the Final Fantasy series <laughs> on NES and Super Nintendo. Right. Like, this is Final Fantasy three, and then a Japanese person is like, No, it's not, it's six, you idiot. <laughs> so since JJ Abrams had bad robot laying around, he could make his giant fucking monster movie. So we, we bring Drew Goddard in as the writer and he directed Cabin in the Woods, but he also, he wrote for lots of episodes of Buffy, Angel, Alias, Lost. He wrote World War Z. He wrote The Martian, which won a fucking Oscar. He's the showrunner of the Daredevil show on Netflix that recently got canceled due to the Disney Plus thing. And I haven't seen it yet, but he wrote Bad Times at the El Royale, which I want to see. So. Yeah, the wife watched that and I can't remember what she told me about it, but whatever. <laughs> Matt Reeves directed it and he did let me in, which was the American remake of let the right one in, which was, it was okay. Okay. I like the original better. And he did a couple of the planet of the apes movies. I don't remember which ones. Cause I'm not, 
I don't not like those, but I don't I've fucking never watch watched them all. any of them. And he's actually directing the new Batman movie, The Batman, after Ben Affleck stepped down as director. So is that the new new one that what's his nuts from Twilight supposed to be Batman or something? Yes. Okay. It was originally so it's Ben Affleck named it The Batman. He was Batman at the time. He's supposed to star in it. He was the writer, the director, the producer, and the star. So he has slowly pulled himself out each role as he could. He's like, I'm not going to direct it. We'll just use my script. Right. And he's like, "Ah, I don't fucking feel like writing anymore. So get a different writer. And then he's like, "Ah, I don't want to play Batman anymore. So he's already trying to put that behind him, huh? Yeah. Which sucks because he's actually a good Bruce Wayne. Like, I don't think he's a bad Batman. He hasn't really gotten much of a chance to do it because Batman versus Superman is, there's not a lot of plot there. No. And then he does a good job when he's Bruce Wayne and justice league going around gathering people. It would have been fun to see. Anyways, I've kind of gone off on a tangent here. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Like I said, it's a bad robot movie and bad, bad robot is actually on Cloverfield lane. Okay. That's the street that the building's on like the office center. Okay. And they had it codenamed something. I don't remember what it was. It was some sort of food or drink from alias. I don't remember. I haven't, I've never actually watched alias. I know that was the code name of the movie. And, um, I don't think he had a name. It was kind of last minute and they called him and he was on the interstate. This is something I read, like not, recently but i read this in the past okay and he was looking up at his exit sign and he's like and cloverfield (laughs) (laughs) and that's how you end up with 10 cloverfield lane okay for the you know for the other movie the visual effects supervisor refers to the monsters clover now because that's that's kind of cool he's got a name right yep they shot the movie in 34 days which to me seems pretty quick for what happened yeah i mean that's normal for a horror movie right to be like late 20s low 30s on the on the day count but not on a big movie with a big theatrical release like this had. True. Um, it had a fake name, and it was actually partially filmed by the cast, like T.J. Miller, who this was his first film, filmed a lot of the movie himself, as well as other people. Yeah, because that was legit. Like, didn't they actually do some of the the found footage footage for once, thank God, like actually with handheld cameras? Yes. And, instead of trying to make them look like that? Anytime somebody fell over holding the camera in the movie... It was real and they okay. kept them. They kept it on purpose. Like it wouldn't like uh, there's a when they first leave the apartment building, there's a big scene where TJ Miller falls over and it was actually the uh, cinematographer was running the camera at that point. Yeah. And it's just dark and he turned around and he tripped and like JJ was like, we're going to keep all these. Like it makes okay. it look realistic because that never happens. Everybody just flawlessly runs through, you know? Yeah. And, and that's what I'm saying. Like, J.J. Abrams, he he likes sci-fi and horror a bit. So, you know, like he didn't go in directing it himself, but he's a very experienced filmmaker. He knew what to do, like <laughs> to put all this together. Yeah. But like the crew was completely in the dark on, on what they were making. Like Lizzie Kaplan thought it was a romantic comedy that she had signed <laughs> up for. And uh, you couldn't see the script until after you'd signed your contract. Okay. One of those deals. But J.J. Abrams was already famous, maybe not necessarily for movies as much yet, but he had done Lost and Alias and, and all that. People knew who he were and they wanted to be in the movie, right? Yeah. All of the characters have MySpace accounts, or at least had. They probably don't now. They were based off their characters and they, they made it where they last logged in the that day the day. movie came in. Yeah. So that's kind of a neat thing to do because MySpace was used for that yeah. a decent amount back then. And uh, before I get into the movie, the last random fact that I want to throw in there is the Statue of Liberty head size when you see it in the movie is actually twice the size it would actually be. Yep. And uh, they had it the accurate size, like perfectly accurate. And people kept complaining when they were screwed in the movie saying the head was too small. So they had to make it bigger to make everybody happy, but it's actually way bigger than the head really is. Yeah, because the perception of people is that it's it's larger than it actually is. 
Hey, man, it's Lady Liberty, right? I do want to point out a little bit of backstory on Josh's side on this. So A, I wasn't into found footage. I thought it was a cash grab. When I did watch this, I found it online somewhere and it was so low resolution that I didn't see the monster till the end of the movie. <laughs> and I, my head turned the blocks into Godzilla. Okay. So I shit all over this movie for a long time, but I just wanted to explain that that's how I saw this movie and then rewatching it in HD for uh, the podcast. Oh, you never rewatched it until now. Never rewatched it until now. It was an entirely different movie. It's a good movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just had to throw that out there. So uh, when you say you hate found footage, you like the original Blair Witch Project in the nineties, right? Fucking love okay, it. Okay. I, I remembered you liking it cause kind of obsessed over that one a little bit. <laughs> But anyways, we, we open up with some footage that says, like, property of the United States government do not duplicate. Like, they're being super serious. Ooh, it might even say reels. It might even say DARP on it somewhere. I can't fucking remember. <laughs> super serial. But this starts off, clearly it's a found footage movie. You hear a guy monologuing, walking around his apartment, looking at stupid shit. It's Rob. It's our main character. And he starts filming Beth sleeping naked. Um, <laughs> she's oddly okay with it though when he wakes her up slut <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> but they, they goof off on the camera and you see kind of their day like they're shopping they're fucking riding on the train yeah. uh, there's some footage of friends you know getting ready for a party and like buying stuff and just getting ready for the party and um, it's kind of neat because this footage starts getting intercut throughout the movie because somebody taped over the original tape, right? Yes. But we do see the party getting set up and everybody robs there. It's a going away party for him. So we're introduced to our entire principal cast, which is Marlena by Lizzie Kaplan, Lily by Jessica Lucas, who was in like Evil Dead, the remake. Oh, okay. Remember, she was the one trying to get her buddy clean. She was like the nurse. Oh, uh, yeah. HUD, which is TJ Miller. He's fucking hilarious in this movie, like most of his movies. And it's his first film. I do think it's funny that he's the camera and it's HUD. Oh, like heads, heads up, up display. display. <laughs> shit. I never put two and two together on that. It has to be. That's like a JJ Abrams joke to me because he, he fits shit like that in there, which while I was happy when he was doing the star Wars movies and we'll just see how that goes. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Rob, who we already saw was played by Michael Stahl. David, his brother, Jason uh, is Mike Vogel. And then Beth is played by, Odette Annabelle, which she was in a bunch of shit after this and maybe even before. And Rob's not here yet, obviously, because it's his going away party, but everybody else is getting ready for it. And I think Jason's supposed to be the one filming like the interviews of everybody. That's like a farewell thing for him as he's going to Japan. Yeah. Because his girlfriend, uh, Jason's girlfriend set up the party because they're all like close friends, but he passes it off to HUD, who HUD is Rob's best friend. Okay. So it's got kind of handed down. Jason gets a little bit of shit <laughs> with his yeah. girlfriend later because of that. And um, HUD's walking around interviewing people and he kind of starts stalking Marlena immediately when he sees her, hits on her, <laughs> gets shot down, doesn't work out for him. Rob shows up to the party and everybody's a surprise, you know, and uh, he gives a speech and um, he starts walking around. He's like, is Beth here? I want to see Beth. And I was thinking they had broken up, right? Because I hadn't seen this in a while. Okay. And then I remember they were just friends. That was, <laughs> that's the problem here, right? Yeah. And, um, he's really upset that she's not there and, and Hud just keeps filming everywhere and Beth shows up with a date. Right. And Rob's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and we just see him kind of in the background as Hud's interviewing people, just getting more drunk as the party goes and not being very social. Yeah. It's odd with it being his own party. 
And uh, Rob, you know, is that my camera? And Hud's like, I don't know. Your brother gave it to me. He's like, did you guys get a new tape or did you tape over? Was it already in there? He's like, I don't know. I just hit record. Was it? What was it? He goes, oh, it's nothing. And then, like I said, you just keep seeing that this is his date tape. Like, yeah. right. And the only date they ever had because they're like childhood best friends. Somewhere they done fucked up. Right. But Hud goes to Beth to get her record her goodbye video. And Rob comes in and grabs her and he takes her outside to like an alley or something. It looked like, I don't know. It looked like they're at street level, which they're up higher later. That part kind of confused me. But yeah. Hud's spying on it. It's a private conversation. I think Jason's with them. And then um, Lily comes out and grabs them and brings them in. That's when Jason's like hitting up Lily because his girlfriend's like, come on, your best friend's a bath. You know something. And Lily spills the beans that they banged. And, you know, Rob hasn't called her since then. And it's because he didn't know how to react because he's moving to Japan. Yeah. And obviously he cares for, they care about each other and to not tell anybody. So then HUD proceeds to walk through the party and say, hey, did you hear that Rob and Beth slept together to fucking everyone that will listen? Yeah, he's that friend. Including Marlene. He walks up and tells her that, too, because any, any chance he gets to talk to her. And Marlene is like, well, maybe it was a going away present. Wait, were we supposed to get presents? Oh, shit. But Beth and Rob come in and they're upset and Beth grabs her date and leaves. <laughs> And as they're walking out the door, Rob's drunk ass yells, good luck tonight, Travis, <laughs> to her. She's got this, like, fuck you face, too, yeah. when, when he does it. Um, Jason, as Rob's brother and Hud is his best friend, take him outside, and they're drinking. They're talking to him, trying to find out what happened. And Jason's trying to give, like, a pep talk speech. And then we hear, like, a loud fucking bang outside. And uh, all the lights in New York City just fucking go out and then come back on. So something fucked up's happened, right? I don't know. That's pretty common in New York. <laughs> Not the bang, just the power going out. That's a terrible 9-11 reference. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I was talking about rolling blackouts. <laughs> you took it someplace dark. <laughs> so they run inside and everyone thinks it's an earthquake and they turn the news on and on the news, they think it's an earthquake and they report that an oil tanker is capsized near the Statue of Liberty from the earthquake. And they're like, oh shit, we can see that from here. Let's go to the roof. So the whole party runs up to the roof. Which isn't that crazy. I guess it's crazy you would go to a roof after an earthquake had happened in case there's an aftershock. But that area is not that prone for earthquakes. Yeah. I don't think it would be that crazy for people to want to go see the fucking boat in the bay if you could, right? Human fucking nature, man. I would have probably wanted to go see it. Yeah, I'd be like, there's no way I'm making it to Central Park and that's where I'd feel safe. So let's at least see what I'm going to get killed by. <laughs> I would have, well, they think it's earthquake at this point. I would have uh, either ran out to safety in the street or went to the roof. There's like no in between. <laughs> <laughs> But they're, they're looking out there, and then there's this large explosion, and fucking shrapnel just starts raining everywhere on the roof. And our main cast, Rob, Jason, Hud, and Lily, run downstairs to the street, and that's when we see the Statue of Liberty's giant fucking head go rolling down the street. Pretty powerful scene when you kind of see it. Like, it, it's a throwback yeah. to Escape from New York by John Carpenter with, with Statue of Liberty and everything, and that's why he wanted to do that in there. Okay. But when you see that fucking head thrown down with the claw marks on it, it's pretty badass. Like. <laughs> Yeah, and that was what they ended up, they used that particular shot in the trailer. Yeah, and the poster's the decapitated statue, I think, right? Okay. But there's more explosions, and you see a giant dust cloud coming down the street, and this part was very reminiscent of 9-11, when it actually happened, you know, and like just seeing everybody running in terror with the, what you can't see anything with the cloud coming, which is fucking horrific. I was actually surprised they did that just like seven years later yeah. in the movie, you know? There's a lot of movies and shit that got changed because of that. I, that's what I'm saying. I'm shocked they actually put that in, you know, after the fact. It's like uh, the Spider-Man movie. Originally, the poster 
Yep. The same Raimi Spider-Man movie, Spider-Web was in between the uh, Twin Towers with a helicopter stuck in it, and they had to change it. Or they changed the poster and then removed all of the all the scenes of the Twin Towers in the background. They digitally removed them all. In yeah. The movie. See, I can get changing the poster, but I feel like that was kind of more shitty than safe. Wiping them out of the shots. Like, can we not remember that this was one of the last movies filmed with it? They're, right, you right. Know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I see it from that angle, and I also see the, you know, you, you know people say, well, you got Spider-Man doing this, and he should have been saving people there, because it's the same year. You oh, know? oh, come you're telling me the people argue. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't happen. This is the hypothetical. Sp- Spider-Man should have saved the people in the buildings. <laughs> I don't know, man. God damn you, Spider-Man. But no, you're, you're definitely right. It should have been like kept for like historical yeah. archival purposes, but the poster definitely. Yeah. That's the thing. When people get that butthurt, like if you don't remember that it happened, you're not going to prevent it the next time. Come on. Anyways, right. sorry. I went off on tangent. <laughs> but they run into a bodega from the dust cloud. And uh, HUD says he saw something out there that was alive. And I didn't cut it back, but I don't think we actually saw it, did we? I don't think so. I think just he saw it. It wasn't in frame. Right. But they, they go outside, you know, like once they feel everything safe to see what's going on. And they find Marlena and she's just kind of fucking staggering around. Right. And the city looks wrecked and they're trying to find out what happened. HUD goes and he plays the tape back to see what he saw. But all we see is Beth and Rob on the train. Yep. But then we cut back to everyone else and they saw something terrifying on the footage. We just, as the viewer, got to see the train clip. Yep. Really well done, I thought. They decided they need to head to Brooklyn and uh, everyone's going. It's not just them. Like the whole city's fucking evacuating to Brooklyn. And Marlena just keeps saying, it was eating them. It was eating everyone. Right. So that's kind of freaky. <laughs> and uh, there's military everywhere already. Like yep. they just fucking came in. And HUD says he's going to film it all because people are going to want to know what happened, right? Yeah. And that's a good explanation for why he has the camera, too. Yeah. And uh, Rob gets a call from Beth. She's pinned down somewhere. She can't move. And he's, like, freaking out, and he wants to get to her. And I don't remember if his phone dies right there or if, like, it just gets disconnected and then her, his phone dies. I don't remember. But the call is dropped. Yes. <laughs> um, but they're running across the, I guess it's the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm yeah. not a New York native, so... And if you notice, there's another guy with a camera filming and HUD bumps into him or like walks up to him. J.J. Abrams said in an interview, they put lots of Easter eggs like that into the movie in case they wanted to do it. Like, what if they made another Cloverfield movie and it's this different group of people with a camera? Oh. So there's little seeds planted, right? Okay. And that would have actually been a cooler idea than what ended up happening with the Cloverfield Uh, universe. Yeah. I would have watched the whole movie again from a different point of view. Yeah, that could have been neat. It could have sucked also, but it would have been something to try. But the group gets separated on the bridge and Chopper starts circling around the bridge and doing uh, spotlights, right? And they're all yelling, trying to get back to each other. And then a giant fucking monster tail comes up out of the water, fucking smashes the bridge and karate chops that bitch in half and kills everyone on that half of the bridge, including Jason. Yeah. So we've now lost a cast member. Plus, we have one injured somewhere, right? <laughs> and this is one of those scenes that, why I preface this, that uh, all I knew on that scene was something gray moved across the screen. You should just watch the real movie, Number okay? one, I didn't download shit. I was streaming it. My shit looked like it was a cam shot on Betamax <laughs> that was fucking uploaded through a fucking Motorola Razor, okay? It was really bad. Didn't we have Blockbuster still in 2008? We did, but I was, I was, I was in a bad place at that time. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But no, little things that looked really cool. I want to bring up what I didn't see. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I just saw a blob of pixels coming at me. Exactly. (laughs) 
But they run away from the bridge. They're trying to gather their thoughts. They're mourning the loss of Jason. And they just start looking around. There's people fucking looting shit everywhere. Which is sad because that's what actually happens when there's a fucking tragic. Let me steal this fucking TV. What good's the TV going to do if you're fucking dead? Am I right? Yeah. But they're trying to figure out how to get to the Manhattan Bridge or the Lincoln Tunnel. Like I said, I don't necessarily know the layout of New York, they're, but they're, they're trying, all there. Yeah, they're trying to get off of Manhattan Island. They just want to get the fuck away, yeah. But Rob's just like focusing on his fucking cell phone, and he's getting angry because his battery's dead. So he takes off running, he goes into the electronics store where they're still in the fucking TVs, and HUD follows him running. Dude, I, I can't take all this running, man! So Rob runs in, and he's like looking for a battery and running around all the looters, and... It's like, dude, I think the store is closed. <laughs> yeah. His lines are great in this movie. And um, HUD starts watching the news with the camera, and he can see views of the monster from different angles from, like, news choppers, right? Yeah. And even the looters are stopping and standing there. They're, like, fucking TVs and their toasters and shit, and they're watching the news with their stolen <laughs> loot in their hands. And everybody's like, what the fuck? Because at this point, they know it's not an earthquake or a natural disaster. There's a fucking giant Godzilla monster walking around. Yeah, there's a something. But HUD can see outside through the window, and he can see the monster off in the distance, right? Like walking in between two buildings. And it starts kind of shaking like a dog drying off a little bit and starts dropping <laughs> little things off. And they're little small monsters. And they just start fucking charging in and overrun all the military guys and killing them. But HUD and everybody wants to get Rob out of the fucking electronic store, but he just wants to get his fucking phone working. So he gets a battery, puts it in there, and he listens to a voicemail that Beth left him while his phone was down. She just says her apartment fell on her. She's bleeding and she needs help. So his singular focus at this point is to go save Beth. Yep. And that gives us a plot. <laughs> but I, I mean, he just lost his brother too. Like, it's like the one thing he's like, I just got to go salvage this one thing. Right. Yeah. Rob's like, we got to go save her. And HUD reminds him that she lives in Manhattan and there's some horrific shit going on there. Right. And uh, Rob tries to get everyone else to leave with the military. He's like, look, they're evac in there. Just fucking go with them. I'll go okay. by myself. And they don't want to abandon them. They're all just going to go together. So they're not on Manhattan Island at the beginning. They're, yeah. They're, they're in another borough. Okay. And I don't, like I said, I don't know the layout of New York enough to kind of figure this shit out, but I did read that uh, they made the actor shoot these scenes ridiculous numbers of times over and over again. Like just no matter what the take was. Yeah. Just because it was found footage and they want to just be able to piece it together like as natural as they wanted to. And Jessica Lucas was in fucking like platform heels or whatever the whole time. She's like, fuck this. <laughs> that was kind of funny. But yeah, they made them just shoot every scene over and over again. Okay. Which is crazy when you think about it. They did it in 34 days. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's a different way of doing it to get this, you know, natural look out of it. But while they're like walking, trying to get to Manhattan, they get caught in the middle of a battle between the fucking monster and the military. I mean, like the tanks are rolling in, they're diving the side. It just jumps straight into the action. Like it's yes. over there fighting and the tanks are fucking fishtailing and shit. And everybody's just on a little name on. They're just stuck right there. Yeah. And the soldiers aren't even like saying, get out of here or anything like that. They're so laser focused on, oh my God, we have to kill this thing. No, they look like some dudes with can do attitudes, man. They're yes, fucking they in do. <laughs> but, um, they make a break for the subway at this point, like our, our cast does. And they're like, oh, we'll just wait it out here. Which I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. Like what if everything came down, but it's probably safer than the shrapnel. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but HUD says something about like, you know, we should wait it out because this thing can catch the air on fire. I don't remember because I get there was a fireball launch. I wasn't actually sure what it was. So I guess it can shoot fire. Wait, that's that sounds way too much like Godzilla. <laughs> Godzilla breathes fire. This is like a fireball, not a stream. <laughs> OK, completely different. 
But while they're waiting in the subway, Rob's mom calls to check on the boys and make sure they're safe. And he has to let his mom know that one of her sons has died. Yep. They're all safe and they're trying to evacuate. He gets off the phone and they all just kind of hang out in the subway for a little while. And they're trying to calm Rob down and console him. And they decide they can walk the tunnels. Once again, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. <laughs> and they use the light on the camera so they can see. And HUD starts spitting out theories he has. Like maybe the monster came from the ocean out of a crevice or a crevasse. Um, <laughs> it could also be an alien. And they, <laughs> and they start talking about Superman and stuff like that. And Marlena says something about it. And there's like a Superman Garfield conversation. <laughs> and he's like fucking hitting on it. Oh, you know Superman? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. You know, she's just totally fucking making fun of him now at this point. But HUD starts talking about being afraid of flaming homeless guys because it was on the news. And, <laughs> and they're like, that's not a good time for that now, HUD. And he's like, yeah, but I just can't stop thinking about how bad it would suck for a homeless guy on fire to come running at us right now in the darkness. <laughs> and then they notice there's a lot of rats running past them. Uh-huh. And these are the same rats. <laughs> Someone when they said they're seasoned rats. They're the rats that were used in Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff. Oh, they're really? actually rats. They had real rats running okay. by. And... um. The rats are fleeing from something. And I always like it when they do that in a movie, when you see bugs or animals leaving an area to to say, there's something scary back there. Yep. It's, a, it's a cool way to do it. But they start hearing sounds behind them in the darkness, and I guess it's further out than the light on the camera works. Rob's like, hey, there's night vision on that thing, and I love how this scene's done. And he walks in front of the camera, and he's fucking with it, and he gets the night vision on it, and then you see all the little fucking spider monsters on the ceiling behind him. And it's creepy as fuck looking. Once again, I want to point out, I didn't see a single parasite um, the first time I saw this movie. I had no idea what was going on. That must have been very confusing at that point. It's all leading up to something, by the way. But they they make a run for it, and Lily gets attacked by one of the monsters that jumps on her. And they manage to beat it off of her, and then one of them pins HUD down, and Marlena comes in and beats it off of him. But then she's bum-rushed by another one, and it fucking bites her. So somehow Lily made it out without getting bit, but Marlena didn't. Yeah, I love the way the parasites look, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like all the CGI has aged well for the monsters, including Clover. But, like, the design is fucking awesome. Well, they they remind me, they look like they came from the same mind that the arachnids in uh, Starship Troopers came from. I could see that. But uh, they make it to some room, and they barricade themselves in. There's no monster caught getting cut off here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It took me a second. (laughs) They're uh, looking at Marlena's wounds and Rob goes to get some, he like breaks open a vending machine, get some water out to clean the wounds and HUD's thanking her for coming back and saving his life. And they end up suddenly getting the fuck out of the subway. Right. Yeah. So they go through and they come up through some mall, I guess connects to the subway tunnels and there's just a bright ass light and they're following the light. And Marlena stops and says she's dizzy and she looks fucked up. Like her eyes are all red and bloody and shit. And they walk right into the military who basically kind of like arrest them. Like we got some civilians here. Yeah. And uh, fucking Rob's just like, it's kind of unrealistic in a way, but he's just like, oh, my friend Beth, she's over in this building. She's pinned down. We got to get to her. And the soldier's like, you do not want to be in Manhattan, right? Because that's where shit's going down. Yeah. Um, And they're asking, what is this thing? He's like, I don't know what it is, but it's winning. So that's kind of like a, oh, God, when you hear the line. It's bad. But the mall has been turned into like some sort of military base. It's got like a med center in there. You can see all the communications equipment set up, and they're rolling in like parasite corpses, right? Like they're going to do some testing on them. 
And Rob starts making a scene with the higher up about how he had to save Beth. And, and he's like, I know you guys are busy doing your thing. Just leave me alone. I'm going to get the fuck out of here. And then uh, this part's fucking awesome. Marlena says she doesn't yes. feel so good to HUD. And she's like bleeding from her eyes and nose and mouth and ears and everything. And then everybody like starts screaming like, we've got a bite. And they're fucking, everybody's evacuating. They grab her and they take her into a quarantine tent. And all you can see is her silhouette and her stomach like swells. And she just fucking pops and explodes. Yes. It's it, so good. And you don't get to see the specifics of it because it's not a rated R like gore movie. But basically they were saying the parasites inject an enzyme like the writers were. And it goes in and it like dissolves your insides and makes you swell and you just pop. Fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was done really well because you do see blood splatter when she explodes. Yeah. Just on the plastic. Yeah. But one of the soldiers, I think it was actually like the squad leader when they got found and arrested, um, takes him to an exit and he's like... I don't shouldn't be doing this, but if you were to go out in the shit to save your friend, I'm not going to stop you because yeah. he knows it's like fucking, you know. Yeah, there. That's one hang up I do still have with the movie. This the scene and a scene later is the involvement with the military because if this shit was really going down, they would have either been under lock and key right then or turned away. It was like a refuge for civilians because yeah. you could see civilians in there, and it was a med center, and. We find out the military's plan coming up, and he might have already knew all that. And he's like, fuck it. If you want to go out there, do your thing. I ain't going to yeah. fight you. I got other shit to do right now. Yeah, this one's not so bad. Later on, when they elect to take them on the helicopter, I don't. Gotcha. No. Well, they say they're heading to it. They, they called that an evac zone. I know what part you're talking about at some point. So I'm just assuming they've been evacuating people the whole fucking time. Okay. Yeah. yeah and okay. it's just they're like catching the tail end of the evacuation. Because even when Rob's like, I'm going to go get Beth. You guys can leave the evacuation zones that way. He says that. So they're they're getting civilians okay. out as fast as they can. Okay. That makes, it just, it, makes it We better. don't see it because found footage. We can't see it from other. Yeah. You know, we can only see their actual perspective. If we had seen the footage from that other guy on the bridge. I know. I want to see that footage. <laughs> So when the guy's letting him go, he lets him know that the military is going to nuke the city and they've got like a set time they're going to do it. And he tells everybody to set their watch. They knew when to get the fuck out of there. Right. And they kind of quickly, it just cuts us to them making it to outside of Beth's apartment complex and her apartment has fallen over like the leaning tower. Yeah. The whole fucking building has fallen over and is leaning up against another building. I really like that. Yeah. And, and they got to get in there to get to her. Cause she's, I don't remember what floor she's on. It's like the 30 something floor. Right. And, um, HUD's like, oh, we could go up the other building that hasn't fallen yet and jump over and run across. <laughs> and they're like, oh, that's a good idea. And they all run off. Wait, no, never mind. No, that's a bad idea. Hey, that's a bad idea. I take that back. No one ever listens to me, ever. And now, of course, they listen to me. They make it all the way to the top of that building, and they do run across and jump over to the roof of the other building. But the whole time you can see, like, jets zooming by and hear shots going off and stuff. So that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, because at this point, there was a couple of spots earlier in the movie where while they're trekking to get from A to B, there's always something going on in yeah. the background. The background's very important in this movie throughout the entire thing. Yeah. But they get into Beth's building and they're having a hard time walking due to the lean on the building. And I read that wasn't like acting to make them dizzy. They built the floor in the building fucked up so that they had to walk and they couldn't do it. Like, yeah. It was neat to make it look realistic. But they make it to her apartment door and it's locked and Rob kicks the shit out of the thing, gets that door knocked in and they find her and she wasn't actually pinned down. Like he said earlier in the movie, she has some like rebar going through her shoulder. Yeah. And they're going to very slowly lift her off, they say. <laughs> and, you know, it's PG-13 movies. So they set the camera down and it's blocking. So you could just see the shadow and then just fucking yank her straight off the rebar and uh, put a tourniquet around her to stop the bleeding. And then Beth looks out the window when they're doing the tourniquet and she gets her first glimpse of the monster and yells, what is that? It's, it's a terrible thing. 
They now have to make it across the buildings again. And then they're going out and they see jets actually shooting the monster near them. It's pretty close to where they're at. As they run across the building, they see a little monster and Rob grabs a fire axe and just fucking kills the shit out with the axe. Yeah. And then she's like, what is that? I don't know. Something else. Also terrible. They make it outside and they have to run through the city again. And the monster's just fucking wrecking shit all around them. Yes. And they make it to the evac site to get into the choppers and get away. And one of the choppers is mostly loaded and they only have room for one more. So they take Lily. She gets onto that chopper. And they're going to have to wait for the second one. And it arrives. You know, I was waiting to see Lily's chopper get shot down. Like, that's usually what happens. These yeah. It didn't happen. According to the writers, though, or JJ, I think she did get knocked down. Okay. But the second chopper arrives right as the monster's getting close to him. And you can see the stealth bomber coming in from the distance, right? So they get in. The chopper goes up. And HUD starts filming the stealth bomber coming in. And it just fucking just starts dropping bombs on the monster. And it just fucking waylays it. And it just falls on the ground in a cloud of dust. And HUD's like... I think they got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the shit right there. But then it jumps out of the smoke. It's decent jump scare, too. Like, it was the first time you've seen it. I yeah. wish I could have seen that scene. I wish I could have seen all this on the big screen. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, he jumps out of the smoke, Clover does, and he attacks the chopper, and it starts to go down. And we're still getting everything from the fucking point of view of the camera, which is awesome. And uh, we get a quick cut from the other recording on the tape, and then it cuts back to the wrecked chopper on the ground, right? So it's really, I like how they do that. It's like, cancel off the crashing and shit. Yeah. And uh, all the soldiers are dead, but somehow Rob, Hud, and Beth made it. Rob's a little fucked up. They're having to drag him <laughs> out. And we hear on the radio that the target is still active. And yeah. I read that JJ made them add that, or maybe Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg got to see some of this and like give recommendations too, if I was reading right. But they're like, we need to put that it's still alive just to not confuse people right oh, okay. there. Or not make people think there's two of them. Ah, uh, that makes more sense. Yeah, because when you're screening it, people start getting confused. You got to fix it, right? But they're dragging Rob out, and they're in the grass, and they have to make another tourniquet on him. And then HUD realizes that he left the camera on the ground, and he runs back to go get it. And then the monster stomps down on the ground right by him. And uh, he looks up at the camera, and it snaps at him, and it slings him to the air. And it's really cool because you just see the camera fly, and it lands on the grass, and HUD's body you can just see from like the chest up lands next to it. If you look at the background, Clover's munching on his legs. So it's yeah. like half his body. <laughs> so HUD died. Unfortunately, I kind of thought he was going to make it the first time I saw it. The coolest part though, is when, when he lands, the camera is like auto zoom trying to zoom on his dead head or focus on it. It looks really neat. Yeah. Now, is that the shot where you actually get your best close up shot of the Clover monster's head? Yes. Or is that, okay. And that's why I kept making the jokes about the first time we watching this movie is by the time it got to that, it was so low resolution when I was watching. I was like, it's fucking Godzilla. All it is is Godzilla. This is a fucking Godzilla movie and they didn't have the balls to call it Godzilla. And I think I turned it off. Oh, really? It was that low resolution. I mean, you're at the end of the movie, too. And technically, it wasn't homage to fucking Godzilla. So. I know, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I couldn't see the parasites. I didn't see what it was. I'm like, it's just a fucking, they didn't have the ball. Whatever. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. So you got to see the ending this time, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Rob and Beth make a run for it with the camera, and they make it into a tunnel, which I don't know why he grabbed the camera at this point. We needed to see the movie, but. It's like paranormal activity. People film shit, deal with it. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he used the camera in a way that makes sense in a second, but I don't know if well, that's what he was thinking. Yeah. But they lay there. They're mourning the loss of their friends. Uh, Rob takes the camera and he does a farewell recording like everybody was for him. You know, and he's like, if you found this footage, I'm probably dead. And he's trying to explain it, everything that he knows. And he's like, at this point, you probably know more than I do, which I like that line. Yeah. And then he goes to Beth and he's like, you got to say, you know, your farewell. And she doesn't know what to say. Right. And she starts making a recording, and while they're doing that, a fucking bomb hits the tunnel, and it collapses on them. And you can hear the monster in the background. 
And Rob tells Beth that he loves her, and then she says I love you back to him, and then the tunnel collapses all the way on him, killing them. And then we get a final shot from the old footage of Beth saying, this was a good day. <laughs> the end. What's really cool, though, when they're filming in the tunnel, did you catch like Clover coming? No. They're in a Ferris wheel, and the camera, for some reason, is just looking off in the ocean, and you can hear Rob talking. And he picks yeah. the camera up, and he looks at her, and he's like, what do you, you know, say about today? While the camera's sitting there, if you look on the right side of the screen, something comes flying through the air like a meteor and slams in the ocean right as he picks it up. Oh, no shit. But he's not actually looking through the viewfinders. So he doesn't realize it happened. Okay. I did not catch that. And I'll, I'll pull it up, show it on. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but you actually see Clover crash. So okay. he's got a, he might technically be an alien. But there's a couple other like little interesting tidbits about this movie. The length of the movie without credits is exactly 80 minutes long, which is the length of a camcorder mini DV tape. Okay. They did that on purpose because the movie would fit on the tape, right? Okay. So this is supposed to actually take place in that amount of time. So it's not fair for me to yell, where'd you get all the batteries? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. it's, <laughs> there you go. And they, they did it appropriately, right? There is static at the end of the credits. And then you hear a voice start yelling something. I couldn't figure out what it was. Subtitles wouldn't tell me how to do some research. You have to play it backwards. Oh, at the end of the credits? Yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't even listen and to it's that. It's a voice yelling. It's still alive. Oh. But you have to play it backwards. I don't know why it was done that way, but it's cool. <laughs> okay. But this is a cool fucking giant monster movie. J.J. Abrams gave me something that I didn't know I was looking for at the time, which yeah. was a new, you know, the the past Godzilla movie had kind of just put a bad taste in my mouth for the giant monster wrecking a city type movie. King Kong remake. I don't remember where that was and all this that uh, Peter Jackson did. Wasn't a huge fan of that one either. Yeah. So, I mean, that's probably part of what kept me out of the theater seeing it, but I was glad I finally did go and watch it. No, this was another one that uh, I don't remember if I was a road dog at the time or not, or it may have just been because of the band. Um, there's a long stretch where I didn't go see movies in theaters, like back from when you worked in the theaters till getting married. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, the first time I saw this movie, it was a low resolution stream, didn't know what anything was. Oh, it's a Godzilla ripoff pass and go back and watch it for the podcast. You're right, man. It's there's good tension. Um, once it starts going, it doesn't, it doesn't back off the all, I would say the third act lull in the movie is when they get what's her face out of the apartment building. It's yeah. the only time it really feels like it slows down. Um, and even then just barely, yeah. it's just because, and honestly, it's cause you don't have the background of the military fighting fucking Clover. They're actually in, a, in yeah. an apartment. Yeah, it just gets quieter for a little bit, um, <laughs> but yeah, this is really cool. And I love the parasites. So I love the little guys cause they remind me of the fucking arachnids from Clan Dathu. And this is... <laughs> And this is really interesting to see like a horror movie or even if you don't want to call it horror, just call it a monster movie made with a big budget with big budget people. Yeah. Because you got J.J. Abrams producing it. You've got Matt Reeves had already done, you know, I think he'd already done Planet of the Apes and stuff by that point in time. So these are these were like seasoned people using it. I don't know what the budget was, but I'm sure it was bigger than most horror movies. Oh, are. yeah. I don't know, though. They filmed it with a fucking camera, so. There's a lot of CG in that movie, though. But, yeah, yeah. The, the, found, the big budget approach to found footage, and it's a fucking giant monster movie at the same time. So that's neat. Unfortunately, it's kind of spun off a franchise, but not really. I like the idea of it. I like how, and if you don't know the idea, J.J. Abrams will find scripts or stories that are written that people are passing on and don't really want to make a movie and he'll make the movie and then tie it into Cloverfield in some way. And like 10 Cloverfield lane was, had nothing to do with the alien scene at the end. If you, if you hadn't seen the movie, I'm sorry, but we said spoilers at the core of the movie. It's just a creepy guy with a bunker that's got two young people in there and he's telling them the world ended and they don't know. 
And that was the script that came across and he bought it, made the movie and then threw in the alien scene when she gets out at the end. Yeah. And that tied in really nicely and I actually liked the way that was done. And I was interested to see how that would continue to go. And then Cloverfield Paradox or whatever came out on Netflix on Super Bowl Sunday or whatever. I have not seen it, but I heard it's a piece of fucking shit. Okay, if you haven't seen it, the the loose tie-in between Cloverfield and 10 Cloverfield Lane, where you can go, okay, that's in the same universe. The Cloverfield Paradox is a setup for, oh, we can do anything we want to now and claim it's Cloverfield. That's pretty fucking lame. It's Yeah, it's that awkward it's one of those like we've talked about some other movies like if you would have just taken this person out of it and changed the name it's a good movie that's what this is it doesn't okay yeah it's i'll tell you something interesting john krasinski's a quiet place you've seen it right yeah jj abrams wanted to make it a cloverfield movie oh really yeah because he was having trouble getting the movie out at first he was okay like, no i want this is my movie <laughs> i want to keep it in my own world so that, that could have been a cloverfield movie no shit and it would actually fit you know if you think about it but yeah now we've gone from giant monsters above ground, and we're going to go to little monsters below ground in 2005, The Descent. Yes. And this movie, um, I think it was my buddy JJ brought it over on DVD, and uh, I didn't, I knew nothing about the movie, um, which is really cool. And I just want to point out that I love this movie for two main reasons. Um, back when I was a kid, I went through a phase where I was obsessed with caves. I've been to several cave systems in Tennessee and Missouri. And that was like with my grandparents on one side of the family. That's what I went and did. And, uh, and I'm not talking like full on spelunker, like crazy <laughs> shit. I'm talking about tourist trap shit, but still I was fascinated by it. So, uh, along with the whole cave aspect of this is my other most favorite thing about this movie, which I'm going to save till the end. Okay. And that is the ending. <laughs> which ending? Exactly. <laughs> so I don't want to go through all these names as far as the cast goes and butcher them, but we got to say this, of course, was written and directed by Neil Marshall. Yep. And this wasn't that, well, like two years after Dog Soldiers? I think so. And he, at first he didn't want to do it because he's like, look, I don't want to get known as the horror guy. So he rewrote it and did, well, I'm going to turn this thing on its head. So I just did basically an all-male cast. Uh, horror movie. I'm going to turn this into an all female cast horror movie, which is interesting. You didn't want to get typecasted, so he just did everything in reverse. <laughs> I know, right? And uh, he said that he was like talking to female friends, like I don't, you know, it's not that wasn't sexualizing the characters or anything like that. And uh, really wanted to, you know, let's make this legit. If this was the Mountain Dew girls that I call them, and um, what it would be like. Now, <laughs> this may sound like a dick thing to say as an asshole American. It was made a point for all the girls to be from different countries with different accents. Okay. To make it easier to keep up with who was who in the cave. Fuck that. This is the <laughs> asshole American part I'm talking about. All I know is, oh, the chick with the accent. Oh, the chick with the accent. Because I can't pick out the different accents. Oh, really? Yeah. So what I had to do, other than after two watches, it gets easier. But looking at shirt jacket color and hard hat color. So if anywhere in here, I'm like, and then this person does this. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You may be entirely right. <laughs> so just have to preface all that with this. I guess I could always tell the accents just from, you know years of playing like MMOs and whatnot online. I, I'm used to hearing people's fucking voices from yeah. all over the world. And no. I can point them out. Not this isolation. <laughs> I, I just fucked up my own joke. Um, <laughs> Josh lives in his own sovereign nation. So <laughs> not really, but no, um, it's Pretoria. Peter said I could live there. <laughs> I don't know. I like Neil Marshall movies because 
you know, it's like dog soldiers. We said it's like predator, but with werewolves. Yeah. He kind of does that with everything. Like he does like it's, it's part this part horror. Cause he does that with this one. And then Hellboy recently, you yeah. know, like it, it's a comic book superhero movie. That's horror, you know, and he, he does a pretty decent job of like mashing them together for the most part. So, um, we start off with, uh, three girls, whitewater rafting, and it really was the actresses in that shot. And, uh, we see this man pull his dark haired wife out of the water. No, wait a second. The other woman's his wife. And, uh, I'm just going to really point out some stuff that happens. You just confused me. Well, he helps Juno out of the boat. Doesn't help Sarah out and helps Juno out. Okay. But to us, we're just like, oh, that maybe he knows her. And it's like, oh, well, we figure out that, you know, this other chick, Sarah, that he's with and their small child in the car going to leave. And uh, I forget where they're at in the conversation, but the way it's shot to where you can see from the back seat that the car's slowly veering into the other lane as another car is coming head on is so great. Yeah. And then there's this real abrupt, you see the pipes fly and go through the windshield and then you see behind the seat, if I remember right, and then you see blood, you never actually see the pipes go through anybody. And then there's this overhead shot and just barely through the windshield, you can see dude's hands twitching. Yeah. And, uh, so we cut to Sarah waking up in the hospital and there's this weird long hallway shot where she's going down the hallway and it does that zoom in wide camera trick thing. But as she runs down the hallway, the lights keep turning off (laughs) and, uh, she runs up to Beth and Beth says she's gone. So what we figure out real quick is Paul and Jessica both died in the car wreck. Now, what I want to point out during the hallway run is part of this is intermixed with her dream. That's why the lights are shutting off because we're going to get this recurring birthday cake thing. And the idea was flirted with of putting a crawler on the ceiling in that shot because by the time we get to the end of the movie, it it plays out to where you can take it two different ways. Right. But they leaned, they steered one direction in particular by the time the movie was done. And then- I haven't seen the sequel, but it canonically yes. sets what happened, right? But uh, so we get the title card. And then one year later, we've got Sarah and Beth arriving in the fictitious Chattanooga National Park. So I think when we see tags later, they're in North Carolina. But anyways. That's a doable drive. <laughs> so, <laughs> and this was, of course, the outside shots were all shot in Ireland, if I remember right, and all the interior shots are sound stages in London. Fuck, I should have noted that. I thought, for some reason, I was thinking it was filmed in Scotland because I thought that was funny because of dog soldiers. It may have been Scotland, yeah. not Ireland. None of this take. None of this was shot in North America. <laughs> this is what I'm trying to get at. As much as they they say it's the Appalachian Mountains, it's not. Um, but uh, as they're driving, uh, I think it's Beth keeps banging on the stereo trying to find something decent to listen to. And she's like, well, it's mud, blood and beer. Sweet Jesus. <laughs> and she's like, enough of that shite or whatever. And uh, they meet up with Juno at the cabin along with Rebecca, Sam and Holly. And they look at this old picture and uh, Sarah says, love each day. That's what Paul used to say. And she gets this real odd look from Juno. So the girls drink and smoke and reminisce a little. And uh, after going to bed, Sarah wakes up. She goes over to the window. And all of a sudden, these pipes bust through the window and through her head. And then she wakes up. (laughs) The end. (laughs) (laughs) And so already real quick, we're seeing that there's this dreamscape thing going on with Sarah. So as dawn comes, they're all gathering up to go off to the cave. And uh, as the group unloads, you see Juno take this cave guidebook and put it in the glove box. You would think you'd be taking it out of the glove box, but whatever. (laughs) So the girls go and it's a hole in the ground to get into the cave. So they drop into one of 
20 something sets that they built, which is just amazing because they were all built out of polystyrene and none of it was shot on location anywhere. And they would relight, repaint and reconfigure all these set pieces to create the different rooms throughout the movie. Cause weren't they purposely built to, to be able to do that, to yes. shift them around and make it look like a different room after they repurposed everything. And they did such a good job. You get two major scenes back to back with the same set. That's awesome. And, uh, one being when they get to the bottom of the hole and you see the striations in the wall behind everyone. And then I think it's Sarah that goes over and sees the bloody claw marks and, uh, <laughs> all these bats start flying out. And, uh, I think it's Holly. that's like one bat, two bat, 50 bats. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, they go down the pipe and it opens up into this large room and they light the flares and it's all red. They're literally in the same set. You just saw them in. That's fucking awesome. And they took the back wall and just canted it a few degrees to make the whole thing look different and then added some shit in the foreground. Um, that's the only one I'm going to go into detail on. It's just that's how they pulled this off. And they right. did a great job. So Sarah goes looking around and in a wide shot over in the left of frame, you see something move in the shadows. And this is another one of those movies where they did not let the actors see the creatures until they had to. Yeah, I was reading that even like lunch and everything, they had them completely separated to so be terrified. Yep. So one by one, they go through this real tight passage with Sarah being the last one and she gets stuck. Yeah. And, uh, Beth goes back in and she tells her this dumbass joke to like take her mind off of everything. And I had to watch it with subtitles cause I could never understand what she was saying. Did you catch it? This is where I turned subtitles on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the joke being, how do you give a lemon an orgasm? You tickle it citrus, which is just <laughs> awful, but it takes her mind off of it. And she's like, you know, the, the, the worst thing that has, that could happen to you has already happened. What are you so afraid of? And uh, she starts getting her moving. She's like, wait, the rope bag. And then the fucking thing collapses on them. And she's like, fuck the rope bag. <laughs> they get out of there. Birthday cake dream. Sarah wakes up. The path behind them is caved in. What are they going to do now? Well, Rebecca says it's fine because the guidebook showed three ways out of the cave. Right, Juno? And uh, Beth says Mountain Rescue knows that uh, we're at Borum Caverns and they'll find us. And uh, Rebecca says that's how it's supposed to work. But this isn't Borum Caverns, is it, Juno? And uh, (laughs) Juno says it's an uncharted cave system and she wanted them to discover it together. And we'll do some real shit at something like that, right? Yeah, because she tries to, I think she says to Rebecca or somebody, she's like, you're right. Borm Caverns is a tur- tourist trap, blah, blah, blah. This is an undiscovered cave system. And uh, so now we know no one knows where they are, and they sure as shit don't know where they are. And uh, while they're doing this whole little spat, uh, we see Sarah thinking she sees something moving in the darkness again. So we move on to crossing the gorge. Um, they come into this area where there's this huge fucking opening, but a hole over on the other side. And, uh, I don't know if they throw a glow stick down or not, but it's a long fucking way down. (laughs) So Rebecca goes and makes her way across first. And, uh, she sees a piece of really old climbing gear and actually hooks onto it. And she doesn't say anything to anybody. Cause somebody's like, what is that? Or what, what? Cause she had stopped is what, what gets said. And, uh, the girls go across. Juno's got to go, is going to climb across last. Cause they set up a rig for the girls to all go across. But Juno ends up slipping and the rope pulls and Rebecca gets her hands burned. And then the piton that was the thing stuck in there, the little lock thing, it comes undone. And then she slams into the fucking side of the wall. But they end up pulling her up and she's looking at the piton and she's like, this is over 100 years old. They're like, then somebody's been down here. Maybe they made it out. And it's like, well, if anyone had made it out, they would have named the cave. Right. Oh, man, we're really fucked. And nobody's been here in 100 years. So they move into the next room and they discover this (laughs) cave. 
<laughs> they discover the painting on the cave wall. And Beth's like, take a look at this. And everybody's like, we don't have fucking time for this. And she's like, no, turn on your flare. And uh, it depicts the mountain and two cave entrances. So it's like, holy crap, we came in one. All we got to do is find the other one. So as the group moves on out of the room, we see something closer in frame and drool coming out of its mouth. And uh, there still hasn't been a complete reveal yet at this point, which is really cool. So Holly gets ahead of the group and starts freaking out. And she starts rushing ahead and she thinks she sees daylight. She charges on, falls into a hole, beats herself on the walls and breaks her fucking leg. Yep. That's what happens when you get excited and run ahead. And um, the group ends up coming down there and Sam is the quote unquote doctor of the group. And uh, she fashions a splint from Juno's pickaxe. And meanwhile, Sarah hears giggling and goes wandering off into the darkness. And uh, this is where she finds an old hard hat. And we finally see a crawler up in a crack when she shines her light on it, or maybe across the way when she shines her light on it. We're 54 minutes into the movie. At I, this know, point. I know. Just to explain, there is a lot that I'm not going over in detail because it's just. It really is character building, but they don't really go into backstory. It's more the camaraderie. Right. And um, this is another one of those movies. It's, it's really funny. They're on the same episode, but this is one of the few other movies that I've sat there kind of like on the edge of my seat, like rocking, watching it. I oh, watched yeah. this at home. I didn't see it in theaters, chewing my nails. And I was just like, I don't know, uncomfortable is like the best word I could use because it's just so claustrophobic, so dark, and they're so creepy looking. Yeah. The crawlers are. And, and they're just like popping up in the background and like, just, I don't know, the absence of light in the movie just makes you expect a jump scare every 15 yeah, and fucking seconds. fucking zero. There's one later in the movie, but 54 minutes in, we finally see a crawler and there hasn't been a single jump scare. And it's just done so, so much well. tension. I don't know. It's, it's a fucking good movie, man. <laughs> but Sarah runs back and tells the group that she saw something and Juno's like, it's the light. It's the lack of light. It plays tricks on you. And, uh. Meanwhile, we're like, no, no, I thought that a couple of times. That bitch saw something. And uh, so they make it into the bone room. That's what I call it. I don't know what else to say. They start looking around. Of course, Holly has this camera that she was playing with earlier when she was doing the bat bit and everything. And they turn on the camera's IR and uh, (laughs) the camera pans over and there's a crawler standing right behind one of them. I forget who with its head just slightly tilted. And the design of the crawlers, the Nosferatu influence was on purpose. Yeah. But they're great. They're just just enough removed from human to make you uncomfortable. Love them. I read that, you know, when Neil Marshall made Dog Soldiers, he had dancers play the wolves. Yeah. So that they, you know, could move real gracefully. He didn't want to have stunt people or dancers or anything like that play no, the crawlers. He wanted actors. Pure actors just so they could do head tilts and facial expressions and everything and just be fucking creepy. And I don't know, I, I love it when you hear like a director putting his touch on something, but that's, it's really fucking cool because it worked. A stuntman, I'm, I'm not trying to shit on stuntmen, but like they couldn't necessarily pull off all of that, you know? Yeah. And you see that a lot like with the Halloween movies, like Nick Castle accidentally made a creepy head tilt with Michael Myers and he was, you know, he was just friends with John Carpenter and ended up playing yeah. Michael Myers. You get stunt actors down the road and they're trying to do head tilts and stuff and it just comes off as cheesy. And I don't know, it's just really fucking good, like hindsight in his place to to get these actors to make these motherfuckers even creepier than they look yeah and this crawler with its already tilted head works because it's like you know but she doesn't know but whoever has the camera knows of course the group panics (laughs) and uh oh it's beth it's right behind beth 
So they're thinking they're being circled and they finally just decide to bolt because they're all freaking out. And that's another cool thing about about the movie that I really want to focus on is it's not a bunch of scared girls. They're like they're the Mountain Dew girls like they do crazy shit and they're trying to be have their heads together about them. It's like a group of daredevils, basically, that go out like they're general and junkies. Exactly. Ass, and I'll, and I'll, I'm just trying to make that really, really clear that it's not your stereotypical shrieking freaking out. Girls. Right. And uh, so they decide to take off in one direction and run right into a crawler. <laughs> and uh, he pounces on Holly. She's the injured one, the broke leg, just like you see with wild animals. They go out after the meek, the sick and injured and uh, rips her fucking throat out. The group scatters. Juno runs up on Holly and she shines her light in her eyes and her pupil tightens up. So she knows she's still alive and uh, she tries to pull her away and a fucking crawler yanks the body back. Like, no, this is my <laughs> food. And they tug of war with her fucking body. And uh, so the first one ends up dragging it off while another attacks Juno from behind. And uh, Juno stabs the shit out of it with her pickaxe. And uh, she stands up and catches her breath. She hears another one behind her and does a fucking spin attack right into the throat of a crawler. Nope, it's Beth. I know. Right through her fucking throat. And I love the way it was shot because you don't know until Juno knows. It's like, yeah, she got into. Oh, shit. I know. <laughs> and she's standing there with the pickaxe sticking out of one side of her neck and like coming out through her throat in the front. Just <laughs> fucking badass. The cinematography was great. And like, it's just filmed in a way that even though I'd seen the movie before watching it for the podcast, I was like, Oh shit. Like it got me again. Yes. Every and, time. And they have her like, she, she handles the pickaxe to kill the first one, like a badass. Like it's kind of like it's Laura Croft in there. Yes. Right. Wolf and ass. And like, yeah, she's awesome. And then she accidentally kills her friend <laughs> and just every part of it is just awesome. Yeah. So Beth collapses and in the process rips this necklace off of Juno. And, uh, she says to her, don't leave me. And, uh, we cut to Sam and Rebecca are wandering around because the group's fractured now. And um, Juno's MIA and Sarah wakes up still in the bone room. I don't know if she got knocked over or what, but she didn't scatter when the group scattered. And uh, she has the camera at this point. And uh, she's looking around through the IR and we see the old lantern and we see a wolf head. And supposedly that wolf head is a prop from dog soldiers. Yeah, they did it on purpose to make it like Predator Part 2. Like when he gets on the ship and you see the xenomorph head in there and stuff. Yeah. Just kind of let you know it's the same world, you know. <laughs> and uh, Holly's body suddenly drops to the fucking floor. And crawlers have din din. They all fucking <laughs> bounce. <laughs> That's what I put in my notes. Crawlers have din din. <laughs> So Sarah gags and one of them gets right up in front of the fucking camera investigating the sound, but gets distracted by Juno yelling off in the distance. So these things are completely blind, right? Because they yeah. just live in the darkness. So we've got Sam and Becca have a crawler crawl right past them and they're being real quiet. And that's when they realize they must be blind. And uh, Sam's alarm on her wristwatch goes off. So she takes it off and throws it in the floor. Well, they're up on a ledge, throws it down lower. And uh, the crawler just pounces on it. And once again, Juno screams in the distance, distract the crawler, and it vamps out and uh, takes off. Um, <laughs> you can see vamps out. It's okay. I know. But we come back to Juno since we keep hearing her yell. And uh, she's wandering around and she starts seeing these arrows drawn on the cave walls. And uh, we cut back to <laughs> we cut back to Sarah. And Sarah makes a torch with Holly's help. Um, she pulls the dressing off from her leg and the pickaxe and... Uh, takes some fuel from the old lantern and fashions a torch. And uh, we see Sam and Becca, they get the ceiling 
nightcrawler jump scare because they're coming like around this corner and it's one of those where they look and they're like, okay, it's okay. And the first one goes and then the second one looks back one more time like, okay, there's nothing behind me and then turns back around again. And it's, right. a, it's a straight up jump scare. And uh, Juno shows up, stabs with a pickaxe and fucking snaps its neck paranormal activity style. And uh, <laughs> you get it, right? Yeah. So Sam examines it and they're like, tell us what we're dealing with here. And uh, that's when she's like, it's totally blind. They must use sound to hunt. And uh, Gina says, well, they get their food from the surface and bring it down here to eat. So if we can stay quiet long enough, we can escape. And uh, she tells him about the markings, but she won't leave without Sarah because this bitch done knows she fucking owes Sarah. But anyways, um, so meanwhile, Sarah finds Beth. Beth's still fucking alive. Yep. Nobody's eating her yet. And uh, she tells her not to trust Juno. And uh, Sarah tries to pull her up off the ground. And uh, when she does, she discovers the necklace that she's still clutching in her hand. And uh, Beth says, it's Juno's. Uh, and Paul gave it to her. And I really wish that wasn't in the movie. It, we're, it's already, it shoves it in your face. She could have just not said anything. Didn't have to say it was Juno's. We know it was Juno's. Anyways, so Sarah wipes the blood away to reveal the engraving. Love each day. So we, it was already put together earlier in the movie. It's the only thing I can bitch about in the movie. So I have to bitch about it. It's really funny because I didn't catch any of that. Oh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> apparently it was in there for a reason. Well, so at this point, we've got Paul helps Juno out of the water before he helps Sarah out. The phrase that Paul used to say. And then now there's this necklace Juno has that has the same thing right, right. engraved in it. So I watched this movie while I was doing something else. And like I didn't. I was focused more on like the cave scenes than I, I got like you. the dialogue outside of the cave. So. And I've also seen this movie like. At least 10 times. It's two just for in, me. Just in the past like six years. So they hear the crawlers and uh, Beth begs for a mercy killing. And uh, Sarah tells her to close her eyes and picks up a rock and bashes her fucking head in. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. And it, yeah, it's pretty extreme. And uh, a crawler attacks her right then and she stomps its fucking head in. So new Laura Croft. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this is the heroin two chord pop up. Yes. And uh, so now we see a female crawler approach because so far they've all been the males and uh, this one has long hair and boobs. So assuming it's the female and uh, Sarah goes running off and she falls into a fucking the vat of blood, the size of a Buick that you may have seen in the remake of house on haunted hill. <laughs> and and uh, she quietly comes back up out of the blood, but the crawler was following her and fucking lunges out of the water at her. She stabs it in the eye with an animal horn and then she freezes on the rock and a crawler comes out and crawls over her like literally with its hands on her. I don't care how blind they are. I don't care how long they've been down there. They would have felt the flesh, felt the warmth. I hate that shot. Fucking crawler should have known it was sitting on a perched on a fucking body. You would think body. the smell like there's, but she just got out of the vat of blood. So what if that overwhelmed the smell? I want to ask a question. Why is there a giant fucking Elizabeth Bathory pool of blood in this cave. It's uh, it's next to the bone room, so I'm just assuming it's runoff from where they do all their feeding. Maybe okay. I mean, I'll well, we needed it for the non Salvador Dali poster right, that's just Sarah covered in blood. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of which, have you seen the Descent poster? That's all the girls making yes. the skull. Have you you know where that came from? It literally is a. a art piece that was a bunch of naked chicks and a Salvador Dali picture. I didn't know that till I was doing this. So Sarah's crazy now. <laughs> I think this is a, Oh no, 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 no. There's another crawler. 
She freezes on the rock. That crawler crawls over her. And then she bashes it in the head with a bone. And she stands up. And that's the first shot we get of Sarah where it's like, Sarah's crazy now. <laughs> and uh, we cut back to the group that's now being chased by a pack of crawlers. This is the other three girls. And uh, Sam goes to cross Gorge 2.0. And ha- this is a different gorge because there's like stalactites. Stalagmite, stalactite. Um, <laughs> I always have to remember. And uh, she crawls halfway out and just stops. And it shows her look at her bloody hands. And I've never understood this bit because she's not the one. I had to rewind it and double check. She's not the one who gets the rope burns. And I don't remember her doing anything to get blood on her hands. But anyway, she crawls halfway across and then just stops. Like, is suicide the plan here? Because uh, Juno comes up to the edge and Sam just looks at her and shakes her head no. And uh, a crawler comes crawling across the damn ceiling, rips her throat out. But before anything else happens to her, she pulls out her knife, stabs the fucking crawler. It falls. We hear it hit water below and then her body goes limp. So we still got three girls left. Oh, no. So another one comes from behind Rebecca at the exact same time (laughs) and fucking tears into her torso like zombie style, like rage zombie style. So Juno jumps into the water and uh, underwater. We do get kind of another jump scare by the crawler that was down there, but she just kind of twists the knife in a little bit more. And now it's dead. Juno comes up out of the water and Sarah pokes out from this hole in the side and pulls Juno in there. And she's covered in blood. She's got that crazy fucking shining look in her eyes. And she's looking at Juno. And uh, she asks about Becca and Beth. And she asks Juno if she saw Beth die. Juno fucking lies. And I feel like at this point was a very pivotal moment for Juno's character. (laughs) That maybe had she told the truth, the next few minutes would be different. So they go back to following the marks that Juno had found to try to get out. Until they get into a room where they're completely surrounded by crawlers. And there's a wild fucking fight scene that happens here. And so with heads bashed into walls, pickaxes to bodies and skulls, knees to nuts and thumbs to eyeballs, they fight them off. (laughs) And uh, Sarah stands up right in front of Juno, pickaxe in hand. And this, I think this is one of the slightly canted shots, which is done a few times in the movie to great effect. So we can see her hand clutching the pickaxe and she loosens her grip enough for the fucking necklace to hang down. And so Juno knows and uh, fucking doesn't say shit and just stabs her right through the knee with the pickaxe. Tell the truth, kids. Juno should have told the truth. <laughs> and uh, so obviously now she's going to be left behind as the wounded one so Sarah can make her escape. And uh, Juno gets surrounded and screams and Sarah falls down a hole. So Sarah wakes up again. She's got sunlight across her face. And uh, up this huge pile of bones is a path to freedom. And I love this shot because she's fucking, the music's good. She's scurrying up the pile of bones and you get this one wide shot that's total darkness and just the light up in the corner and just lit down the bones down to where she's climbing up at. Looks great. And, uh, she bursts through to the surface and uh, she's fucking screaming and crying and running to make her way back to the cars and her acting, the few quick shots, the music, it's great. Cause like she runs up to the Bronco and like hugs it like, Oh my God, something that's not in that cave. <laughs> and uh, she gets in and for once when she drops the visor down and the keys fall, if you pay attention when they pull up, she puts the keys above the visor. So <laughs> thank God they put that in there. So she goes driving buck wild and batshit crazy. We see it fucking jumping shit and all this. (laughs) And the director of photography actually had asked to buy the vehicle after the movie. And Neil Marshall didn't know. 
And when it got to doing that scene, they're like, just go balls out with it. Just do whatever you want to with it. So that was kind of funny. So she makes it to the road, pulls over to vomit. And as she turns back into the car, she sees Juno sitting in the passenger seat. Credits. Now, if you were unfortunate enough to see the American version of the movie, that's the end. You see the picture of the girls at the cabin and the credits. And that is not the original ending. The original ending is what they got in the UK. And thank God the first time I saw this movie, it was the director's cut because this is what I knew as the actual ending. We see Juno and instead of cutting to credits, we cut to the birthday cake dream again. And Sarah wakes up. There is no light across her face. She's just laying there on bones surrounded by fucking crawlers. It was all in her head. Another dream. Credits. And I love that shit. Just like Cloverfield, it ends on a downer. Like, everybody's dead. <laughs> um, and you don't get that a lot. I hate the, yay, we're, there's a time and place for it. But the movies that are just like, oh my God, are they going to make it? Oh my God, are they going to make it? Oh my God, are they going to make it? They're going to make it. Oh, shit. <laughs> and, and that's how this movie was. And um, it was like, yeah, the test audiences tested 10% lower or 10 points lower with the, the sad ending. Um, bleak, that was the word that got used, that the ending was too bleak. It was a pretty bleak fucking movie. Though, so. Exactly. And I love the fact that throughout the movie, we have her every time she gets knocked out, she has these dreams and these daydreams. And we put that together through the whole movie. And that was the idea that was toyed with was, do we put a crawler in the opening of the movie and let the audience think there were never any crawlers? It was all in her head. They went in a cave and got lost. She went batshit crazy and killed everyone. Really glad there's not a crawler in the hallway in the hospital because I love the idea of the monsters. Yeah. And I gotta, I gotta admit, when I saw the movie the first time, it was the American version, just the regular like okay. American version. And then when I watched it for the podcast, it was the director's cut, and I was like, I don't remember this. <laughs> I was fucking confused. I haven't seen the second one. I have, and I don't remember it. Well, from what I read, I didn't read. I want to watch the second one, so I didn't actually read the plot of the second one. But it makes the American ending the real one, I think. Yeah, yeah. She, she, her getting out of the cave is the canonical ending. Yeah, so I'll have to take that in. Uh, I was looking at you mesmerized, fucking watching the movie, because like I said, I was doing something else when I watched this one. <laughs> and some of the stuff, I was like, huh, I missed that. And I was just like watching you like a storyteller. <laughs> it's like, did I watch this fucking movie or not? Yeah, I love this movie. And this was another one of those that based on when it came out, 2005, fucking took me by surprise. Now, I don't think I saw it until about seven years ago, probably. So it'd been out for a while. But yeah, the my attachment to it with the whole cave thing. I'm fascinated by caves, but I'm terrified of them because yeah. I think when I'm in a cave is earthquake and they play with that early on in the movie. And then the fucking humans that have devolved, evolved, whatever you want to call it to become the monsters that are in the movie. Um, the dynamic between the pack of chicks, the, um, trifling asshole Juno, <laughs> um, and, uh, Paul couldn't keep his dick in his pants. So I don't care that he got spiked through the face with pipes. Did that scene make you think of Final Destination? Absolutely. <laughs> Final like, Destination 2 all day long. But yeah, I'm, I'm gushing at this point. I just really, really like this movie. And this felt like a good episode to stick it in because I don't think we're going to do a cave dwelling episode. <laughs> um, now back to a joke about two similar movies coming out at the same time. There was the American produced movie called The Cave that yeah. came out. I want to say like weeks or months apart from each other. And uh, I've seen that as well. And even if this movie didn't exist, I didn't like the other one. I haven't seen the cave, but, uh, 
fun movie. So monsters. This was a fun one to do or a fun two to do. We have talked in the past about wanting to do monster movies. So it was coming up with the right list and getting it done. And we had too many. So we got to do two of these. So, yeah. And uh, I think in the future, we'll try to separate like the, you know, Vampires 1, Vampires 2, Monsters 1, Monsters 2, because we're going to do a, a Werewolves 2 at some point. But it just yeah. kind of worked out where we had like a giant list of movies. Let's just do fucking two of them in a row. Let's have fun with it. Yep. So what are we going to have going on next episode? On the next episode, we're going to go back to franchises and we're going to do fucking Reanimator. I gave him life. And this is going to be fun because Reanimator was on the Jesus tapes. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, full disclosure here. I've never actually seen a whole Reanimator movie. I have never actually seen that same. I've seen. So you've seen pieces of the first yes, one. Yes. Yes. Okay. I've only seen pieces of the first one and have not seen the sequels. So I have been wanting to go back and watch this even before the podcast. And uh, I'm excited to actually have to do it. And it's going to be one of the first things I think that I'm just going in completely blind for the podcast watching. So sweet. This is going to be fun. It should be pretty fucking fun. So I'm excited about that. Well, once again, with you got a kid that's going to be here very, very soon. We're going to try to stick to bi-weekly. So if you're hearing this, Reanimator will be two weeks from now, but this is subject to change, all based on when the baby arrives. But we're still going to try to keep our word and at least go bi-weekly until we can get back to weekly. Things have settled. Things have settled. Things have settled. I mean, as of hearing this, I've already had my child for a month or two, I think, at this point. So we're just trying to wrap up the the pre-recorded ones, and we'll be back to doing current ones here soon, too. So that'll be nice. But as usual, keep sending your comments to sbyspodcast at gmail.com and giving us a follow at sbyspodcast at Instagram and Twitter. Keep coming back, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Later. We killed it. Fuck you!